Alex fans. Are you ready? You are listening to the Ducks and Pucks podcast with your hosts, Mike Walters and Eddie Jones. This is the number one home for Anaheim Ducks talk and analysis. Here we go. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Mike Walters, along with my co-host, Eddie Jones. And we have a good program for you today. We're going to talk about the Ducks' uh, recent games, which you may not be too happy about, but we're going to cover those. We also have Hannah Spreaker that comes on from the fourth period. We're going to talk a whole lot of Ducks hockey. We're going to talk about Kessler. We're going to talk about Murray, uh, the trade deadline, uh, tons of fan questions too. We cover a lot of those in the interview with her. So that's going to be coming up after we talk about some of these games. And then we'll wrap it up with a little bit more uh, discussion about uh, Murray and some of his comments in that article. But this last week uh, was a little bit of a tough week, Eddie. Uh, The Ducks, they played Edmonton, San Jose, and um, they had a tough time uh, in San Jose and also in Detroit. And, uh, you know, kind of a iffy week if you're a Ducks fan. They they first finished um, the homestand against the Oilers. And what that game ended up being okay. The Ducks uh, got the lead in this one. Um, you know, Perry actually scored in this one. Kessler scored in this one. Uh, Edmonton did get a late goal to make it 3-2 to two and, and make it somewhat of a, of a battle at the end. But this was a good game, Eddie. The Ducks needed the two points. They're playing a Pacific Division opponent, and they got the win in regulation. Yeah, and you know we talked about how these next two games, uh, more so against the Sharks and the Oilers, but uh, that they're important games. The Oilers were trending upwards. Uh, any game against Pacific Division teams, no matter where they are in the standings, are big games because they're they're four point games. So this was a good win. Uh, I think it it was a hard fought win. You know, Kessler actually for the first time that line this season had done a good job shutting down uh, the you know Connor McDavid, and I think that was you know something we had been looking for from that line. Uh, they had got victimized against Austin Matthews the game before, and it was just a, not a great night for them. So for them to come to this one and, and shut down McDavid, especially the way he was playing coming into this game, I think that was a, a great a great point to take out of it. And, of course, they came out and, and they won in regulation and got two points, so, so that was huge. Yeah, and there was a little bit of uh, animosity in this game, too, as we saw uh, Patrick Maroon level a big hit on uh, Cargano. We uh, joked on Twitter that, that the play should be reviewed, which obviously it was a legal hit. But what did you think about that? Uh, Maroon kind of went at him, and then uh, Manson goes at Maroon, and Maroon just falls down. Kind of a uh, funny, not-so-funny series of events there. Yeah, Maroon was doing a lot of stuff in this game. <laughs> he, he <laughs> There was the hit, there was the stuff with Manson, there was the fight with Bieksa where uh, they were supposed to fight and then Bieksa threw a stick on the ground and, and they were going to fight and then Maroon just skated away. And, and then during the fight, Bieksa threw his glove at, at Patrick Maroon and, and you know missed on a, a Superman punch. It was just a crazy game between these two. And, and Maroon was kind of doing what he normally does, just being a pest, getting on guys' nerves. He was flopping around a couple times all over the place <laughs> trying to draw penalties. So, you know, really doing what he's good at. Um, and it was it was funny to see. Um, you know, it wasn't as, as a, you know, what we had expected from this game was it was going to be a dirty game. You know, there's going to be a lot of history between these two teams coming from the playoffs. And there wasn't really a lot of that in this one. You know, there wasn't a lot going on other than Bieksa and, and Maroon fighting. But you didn't see much from Lucic in this game. You didn't really hear much from Zach Cassian. It was, it was kind of a calm game. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think other than those <laughs> couple little moments, like you mentioned there with Maroon, which, uh, you know, we'll even talk about him with Hannah when she comes on, you know, as uh, the trade deadline comes up. Some people actually uh, want him back. So later in the show, we kind of go into depth um, with her and we'll talk about uh, some of that. So, uh, yeah, a good win for the Ducks uh, overall. Um, they got the two points in regulation against the Pacific Division team, as we talked about. And then they also had uh, San Jose in this two-game homestand. And God, this was a frustrating game. I mean, the Ducks, they got an early goal. Uh, first couple of minutes, Casse scores. They got another early goal in the third period. Ducks had a 2 nothing lead halfway through the third period. And you really thought they were going to win this game. And Logan Couture scores. You know, you go, okay, it's 2-1. to one. No big deal. The Ducks are going to hang on a win, right? No. We all know how it goes, right? When the Ducks have to try to hang on, it doesn't work out well. So they they try to hang on. San Jose scores in the final, you know, 50-something seconds of this game. The game ends up going to overtime. No score. It ends up going to shootout. The Ducks lose in a shootout. This game uh, is very frustrating, Eddie. I mean, you're, you're 50-something seconds away from getting another two points in regulation. And then not only do you not win in regulation, but you don't win in overtime in the shootout. San Jose played the night before, too. And it yes. did not even look like they were the team that played the night before. It looked like the Ducks were the team that played the night before. They were tired in the third period, other than Fowler's goal. Pretty much from that point on, especially after Couture's goal, it was all San Jose. And it, it felt like it was only a matter of time before they, they ended up scoring. And you get to the final minute, and you're like, okay, come on. Like If you're going to hold on in any game, it has to be this one. This is the biggest game of the season. You know, You've gained some ground on the Sharks you got to hold out and, and get the two points in regulation. And, of course, Timo Meyer gets the game-tying goal, 54 seconds left in the, in, in, the, in the game, sorry. And then you go into overtime, they don't look too great, and you go to the shootout, and you kind of just know at this point. <laughs> you kind of <laughs> just feel it. You know, the Ducks blow a, a late lead at the end of the, the third period. This is a big game, points on the line, and they end up, of course, losing, and... and it's just you know losing these points, losing in the shootout any time is bad. You, you're blowing points, and the Ducks have blown a lot of points in overtime and shootout throughout the entire season. But doing it to San Jose, especially the the way the standings were at this point, it's just a missed opportunity that can come back and hurt them at the end of the season. Yeah, and this was supposed to be a redemption game for the Ducks, as you remember the Ducks got smoked last time, six to two. Uh, against uh, San Jose. So you were hoping that they would come out and win this game and, like you said, try and gain some points on the Sharks. So, you know, not they didn't play terrible, but like you said, San Jose played the night before. The Ducks didn't look as energized, and it ends up coming back to bite them. You know, one of the biggest things we've talked about with this team, especially this season, is they'll be able to get a lead going into the third period but a lot of times they let off the gas and they try to hang on. And whenever you try to hang on to a lead, whether it's a one or two goal lead, Eddie, I get super nervous with this team. Yeah, and I don't know what it is necessarily. I mean, it's always hard to, to hang on to a lead at any point in any hockey game. But the Ducks have just seemed to, to struggle with it a lot. And, and I don't know what to pinpoint. I can't really pinpoint it on one thing. A lot of it comes down to, to defense, and, and there's a lot of coaching decisions that go into it as well. We've seen some guys that are out there in critical situations who really shouldn't be out there. We've seen BX out there in critical situations. We've seen Boschman, and it's come back to haunt them. And, and I, I don't know. I don't know why those guys get put out in those situations. I think that I can't remember what game it was. I, it might have even been the San Jose game where you saw. Um, 
I think it was Fowler and Bieksa were out at a critical moment of the game. I don't know why you don't have Lindholm and Manson out there in the final minute of the game uh, where the points matter that much. I don't know. You know, a lot of it comes down to coaching, but there's so many things involved to why they can't hold on to these leads. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of it's a, a mentality. They haven't been able to have that killer instinct. And we've actually talked about that in seasons past as well. So the Ducks end up dropping this one. Then they go on the road. They go to uh, Detroit. They play in the in the new Little Caesars arena. You know, they don't have to play in the Joe anymore where the Ducks have had a terrible time, at least in the regular season. They have, you know, of course, won in the postseason. We all remember in 2007, of course, when the Ducks won game five. But uh, outside the postseason, the Ducks have had a, a rough time in the regular season. And they come into this game playing a, a subpar team, Detroit, and you would think that the Ducks would, you know, capitalize and, and, and take them out. I mean, they actually outshot them 2-1 to one in this game. They won the faceoffs almost by a 2-1 to one margin, too. But the Ducks could get nothing going on the power play. They had four opportunities. They didn't score. Uh, Bieksa, like you talked about, one of the greatest turnovers in the beginning of the, uh, the game in the first period led to a uh, Larkin score. And uh, the Ducks just couldn't, you know, get the offense really going in this game. They, they get a goal by Henrique, but, you know, it's in the final four minutes. They, you know, try to uh, get, you know, on the board there. Of course, they take a late penalty, too. That pretty much ended the game in the final couple minutes. So um, a frustrating game, Eddie, a game where the Ducks should win. They're playing a struggling Detroit team that's nowhere near the playoff race and the Eastern Conference, and they couldn't get it done. Yeah, and before I get into this, I don't know if you saw it, but the the Little Caesars Arena, it is a steep arena. I mean, yes. Eric, Eric Stevens was like on the moon at the press <laughs> yes. box where he was sitting. He tweeted out a picture, and it is the steepest arena I have ever seen. They were so high up. I, I, I just had to get that off my chest because I couldn't believe it. He was just just so high up in that arena. I, I mean, that's insane. The fans are on top of you. I, if, if the Red Wings are ever good, that's going to be a hard place to play in the playoffs. No, I, I agree with you. They, they had some stats, too, during the game that they uh, had shown. And it was like, when they compared it to the Joe, I, I don't remember the exact square footage, but it was like twice the size of the Joe. The locker rooms were like three times the size of the old locker rooms. And uh, they just they, they went all out on this building, uh, from what I could tell. I remember Dan Wood talked about it, too, on the radio and posted some tweets, too. And like you said, Eric Stevens. So um that's it's a phenomenal building you know uh definitely and i, I agree with you if, if uh detroit gets back to where they were um it's going to be a tough place uh to play in for sure um, anyway though getting getting back to the game <laughs> itself it was disappointing um the way i had put it is it was kind of the most boring game i've watched from the ducks all season <laughs> there wasn't a lot going on uh the game seemed to go by really quickly there wasn't a lot of offensive chances you know detroit's first goal like you said was off a horrible turnover from bieksa throws it up the middle right to dylan larkin i don't know what he was thinking but larkin is the only player out there uh and not much gibby can do on that one uh, we actually had done that another time didn't turn it over but he threw it right up the middle on the backhand and almost turned it over, and uh, Detroit got a scoring chance of that. Just not a good game. I, I think, you know, there's so many 2-on-0s or 2-on-1s by Detroit. Uh, the defense wasn't on their game. Nielsen had the second goal bounced off the boards, and, and Manta threw it out front. And there's three Ducks just standing in a row right in front of John Gibson. And Cashel was the only one pressuring anybody out high. And it was really no chance for Gibson, and Nielsen's able to slot it in. And not long after that, Nielsen had a 2-on-0 where he, where he went to the backhand and hit the crossbar. I mean, really, just 
Gibby was just hung out dry in this game. The, the Ducks offense, I think this is the first time in a while we haven't seen them get anything going at all. I mean, even Henrik's goal, not much off that play. He actually shoots a puck from the top of the right circle that just flips up over Jimmy Howard, and Hen- Henrik's there to put it over the line. That was their best chance of the game, which is saying something. I, I hope this is just a one-off. I, I mean, they looked better uh, offensively in the game against San Jose and Edmonton. I don't know what went wrong in this one, but this is definitely a team you should be beating. Yeah, and I think that's the concerning part is you're playing these games against uh, you know teams that aren't doing that well. And I remember we asked Dan Wood, you know, did the Ducks play at the level of the competition? And it kind of seems that way. So uh, it's they're on a little bit of a frustrating um, you know streak lately. Um, you got to hope that they improve. Obviously, they got some other bigger games coming up on the road trip, which we're going to talk about um, after the uh, the interview that we're going to do here uh, real quick. So we're going to get into a lot of the issues now. Uh, obviously, uh, Murray had a, uh, some say in the uh, athletic article. There was an update on Kessler, and we're going to talk about all that in the trade deadline right now. All right, we have a special guest for our show this time. We have Hannah Spraker from the fourth period. Uh, she writes about Ducks hockey and hockey in general. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Hannah. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Uh, Hannah, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, what you're doing right now, what you, how you got into maybe writing about hockey or anything that you want to share with the uh, listeners out there before we get into hockey. Um, well, California kid, born and raised. Um, now I'm living in Toronto. I just moved here and it's cold and it's an adjustment, but it's hockey heaven, so there's the upside. <laughs> but, um, yeah, started um, kind of, I guess, my career off going to journalism school, Arizona State University, just kind of knew I always wanted to write about sports and specifically hockey. So um, during college, I just kind of started writing for random blogs and outlets and stuff like that. And then I saw the fourth period had um, a need for an Anaheim correspondent, so I sent Dennis, my piece on Patrick Moilo requesting a trade out of San Jose a couple years ago and hopped on that day. So it's been fun. So I'm up here now doing a lot more league wide stuff and kind of being Dave's right hand man with doing events and whatnot. We have our golf tournament in the summer here. We do um, like the gifting suites for the players. Um, at all-star and at the awards and all that fun stuff. So yeah, just kind of living the dream, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta know, how does, how does one become a taco enthusiast? <laughs> <laughs> the guys from a uh, puck guys podcast told me, call me their a uh, taco correspondent. Yeah. He, t- but, well, yeah, Patrick's a good friend of ours too. He told me to, to say, Hey, cause uh, he knew we were having you on today too. Oh, yeah, I had a good talk with them for about, like, 20 minutes about tacos in Canada versus tacos <laughs> in SoCal. Um, but, so, my dad is a, like, California surfer to a T. Um, so, he goes, I mean, we're always at the beach. We're always down in, like, um, San Onofre area. We're always by Pedro's Tacos, <laughs> world famous. Um but we have to, like, I'm not kidding. People think I'm joking when I say I have Mexican food probably five times a week. So <laughs> coming here, I'm like, okay, crap. Um, <laughs> There's not I a lot tried, of options, yeah. <laughs> well, I went to Vancouver last year um, to see the Ducks and the Canucks play over New Year's. 
And I went to a Mexican restaurant and I was like, oh man, this is awful. <laughs> like I have never seen a more shameful taco. <laughs> but um, so I actually came here to visit um, in October and my friend took me to um, like a nice taco place here. And I was actually surprised. The only thing is their fish tacos suck here, but you can't really expect a whole lot when you have California to compare it to. Yeah, yeah, you're not gonna you're gonna get more chains than than anything up here, and and I guess if you're gonna find a good place anywhere, it's it's probably gonna be Toronto. So if you pick the right yeah. place to find tacos, then yeah, yeah, two or three places. Yeah, yeah, be good. Yeah, but... Toronto's usually on on you know the the cutting edge at least of of some kind of of decent restaurant. So you you picked a good place at least for restaurants. Oh yeah, like I was telling um, my family today, I was on Facetime with them. Um, I was most excited about moving here for hockey, obviously, but like second most excited was the food. Cause there's this blog, blog to, and it's just, it gives all the best recommendations for food. And I have like a checklist of stuff I want to try, but yeah, tacos are my favorite food and I'm not getting at them five times a week. So <laughs> now I'm kind of changing my whole diet. It's weird. How have you found, uh, I guess, the difference? You said you kind of referred to Toronto as, as hockey heaven, and I'm sure a lot of media people are, are cringing a little bit because I think they might refer to it as, as hockey hell at some times. Uh, how, <laughs> yeah. how are you kind of adjusting to the difference, I guess, and in, in at least the media between uh, California and, and Toronto? Oh. oh, it's so different. It's so different. Um, so I was in the press box like last week, and uh, ACC with uh, Dave and we that's when the Ducks were playing the Leafs and we went down to uh, the Ducks locker room first there was maybe five five people doing interviews and it's like I mean in Anaheim you just walk up to a guy start asking questions there's no like formality I guess to it and then we go into the Leafs locker room and I'm like holy crap it's a whole show it's like 40 50 people like very proper I was like okay this is uh, different, but it's cool. I mean, everyone's always talking about hockey here, whether you're media or just, you know, any neighbor. Like, all my neighbors are, like, asking me all the trade deadline info and scoop and whatnot. Um, but it's funny because I would always tell my friends, I was like, I've, like, no matter what I did, like, if I would just be out at a bar in California with friends and meet someone, my drink of choice is scotch, so I usually have scotch. Um, I cannot tell you how many people have been like, oh, so you're Robin Shabatsky from How I Met Your Mother. You're a journalist. You play hockey. You like hockey. You're half Canadian. You're drinking scotch. You like cigars. I'm like, okay. Maybe <laughs> in Canada, I won't be such an oddity. But now it's switched to, oh, you're Cali girl. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that's probably going to be the, the tagline for a bit until you get adjusted, I would assume. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And it's funny because no one believes me that everyone from California doesn't say Cali. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be... I mean, I don't have too too much experience. I've only been to California once, but yeah, uh, Canadians use that a lot. And I, you know, I didn't even realize recently it, it doesn't get used a lot down there until I went down there. And mm-hmm. now you've brought it up again. And yeah, it, it's it's kind of a thing that we just end up using. Yep. I'm like, call it SoCal <laughs> or California. Don't call it California. I, one thing I saw too is is you actually tweeted out uh, I think it was a, a week ago or a couple of days ago uh, have you embraced the Drake now that you live in Toronto? <laughs> <laughs> Every single place I've been, whether it's the gym or a bar, or restaurant, 
there's always at least one Drake song that plays. I was like, damn, you guys actually really do like love Drake. <laughs> well, well, you're in the six, so you <laughs> it it's pretty much yeah, so... Drake City, right? So you gotta you gotta embrace the Drake if you're gonna live in Toronto. Yeah, so I was talking to my friends the other day, and like they were just like. I was like, are you, you guys are serious. Like this, there's been like four or five Drake songs in the same bar in the past hour. <laughs> yeah, they'll play like, this whole like, album. They grabbed my arm and they were like, embrace Drake. You're gonna. I was like, oh, that's that's how this is. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm sure everybody didn't tune in to listen to us talk about Drake. So so let's <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get into to some some of the Ducks hockey here. Now we're gonna reference a bit uh, of some stuff from your article, and and I want to kind of start out with with Adam Henrique and. And you talked about how he's an extremely versatile player. And, and something we've brought up before is he's kind of like a Swiss army knife type of guy for the Ducks. And, and something they haven't really seen since really Nick Benino and Ryan Kessler when he was playing at 100%. You know, what, what is your kind of evaluation of that trade and how it's worked out for the Ducks? Oh, it's been phenomenal. I think it's been the best trade that uh, Bob Murray's made in years. He's been like he came in to be like a Band-Aid and, you know, fix the here and now. And he's gone above and beyond that. And you can plug him in anywhere and he's going to score. He's just been, I mean, he's making guys on his line better. Like, you know, playing with Nick Ritchie. Ritchie has been kind of non-existent. Now he's picking it up a little bit. It's just, he's incredibly versatile. And a Swiss Army knife, that's a perfect way to put it. But, I mean, this has been a steal for the Ducks, to say the least. I mean, especially like, Vodnin's a great guy great player but with a team that has so many young talented defensemen like that's a steal for the ducks yeah it's kind of created something they haven't had in a while i mean if if we wouldn't really be talking about this if kessler's line was actually playing at 100 percent, but the ducks mm-hmm. haven't had three lines that are a threat uh, since mm-hmm. they split up Getzlaff and and they ended up i believe at one time a couple seasons ago they played raquel with perry on the third line and they actually had three mm-hmm. lines going so it, it's kind of been a while and, it, and it's nice to see richie and kasha gelling on that third line with henrique yeah oh absolutely and it's i mean going back to the kessler cog silverberg line i mean that was it was a one-line team last year for a good portion of the season and yeah having henrique come in as you know especially when kessler is not even there that was huge. And like seeing, you know, I was like, okay, well, what happens when Kessler comes back? And then I was like, well, I don't think he's going to be a hundred percent because dude's 33 coming off a surgery like that. Um, and I was, you know, I figured Kess might be pushed down a line. I mean, that proves wrong, but I didn't know exactly how Henrik would fit in anywhere else. And then he just proved me wrong. Like you can plug him in anywhere. Yeah, I mean he's he seems to have found a home on that third line. But you brought up Kessler, and, and you know let's kind of get into that. Is you know he obviously doesn't look a hundred percent. And recently there was an article on NHL.com where they sat down and talked about you know some of the issues he's working through right now. And you had proposed a question, really, what happened to the shutdown line? Do you think it's all on Ryan Kessler and the fact that he's injured, or do you, Cogliano and Silverberg kind of have to shoulder some of the blame? They have to shoulder some of the blame. I mean, you're an NHL player. You have to shoulder blame no matter what. You know, you're you're playing in the show. You can't rely on one guy. But, um, yeah, with Kessler, you know, at first I was like, okay, cool. He's like, the first few games, he, he did, like, decent. He looked good. And I was like, all right, I guess he is back. He said to the media he felt better. 
uh, skating now than he had in five years. And then now seeing the interview that he just had, I'm like, well, what? (laughs) Because you just said, like, last month you felt better now. But I guess, like, the rehab, that's just been absolutely brutal. And, I mean, I don't blame him. 33 and having bone fragment taken out of your hip. Like, I, I tore my labrum. And that was brutal. So, I mean, and I, I'm barely. So, I mean, that's absolutely nothing compared to what he's doing. And the but, role yeah. he plays, right? Uh, I mean, that's yeah. got to be tough coming back and playing in a role like that. Oh, yeah. That's such, I mean, it's the shutdown line. Like, you got to be at 100% to be the shutdown line. And, I mean, it's unfortunate. And, I did, like, even Bob Murray was like, I don't think he's going to be you know, back to the old Kessler until next season. But then that poses the question, okay, he's probably, what, going to be 34? And you're going to expect him to be your shutdown guy? Like, it's just, there's so many things with this team where things have happened, and it's been unfortunate. Like, they've just been the bad luck Brian of the NHL. And there's been so many things that have just happened that you you look at the window and you're like, all right, that that plays into that now too. So I thought when Bob Murray signed uh, Patrick Eves to a three-year deal, I was like, that's it. That deal right there is telling you what he thinks the window is. Yeah. No, and then that completely makes sense. Happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it throws a wrench into it. It's not even just this Kessler injury, which is obviously plays a big part. Uh, you brought up Eves. It, it's his injury now. We don't know when he's ever going to come back. And just all the injuries from this season has kind of thrown a wrench into the Ducks' plans for this season and even going into next season because there's going to be a lot of change at the end of this one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, there's going to be a lot more change at the, you know, in the summer than there will be at the trade deadline, obviously, seeing Bob's comments. And he's never really a huge buyer. I mean, he's oh, he always did something, but he's never he never goes for, like, you know, the headliner. He's not, like, not going to go for Nash or anything, you know. But... Um, I think it's going to be an interesting summer for the NHL, to say the least. Yeah, not just for the Ducks, but uh, I oh, mean, yeah. Carlson, again, people went into a fury today when somebody had reported that he had left practice early and left the tweet off at that. And then, of course, later on it goes out that he ended up hurting his ribs or something. But I think for about 20 minutes on Twitter, everybody thought that Eric Carlson had been traded somewhere. <laughs> no. But yeah, I, I mean, he'll be involved in, in the summer with that. John Tavares is going to be a huge discuss, discussion coming in the offseason. But but the Ducks have a couple guys coming off the books in, in Bieksa. Uh, yeah. Vernet's coming off the books as well. Uh, but then you also have Fowler and Manson, whose contracts kick in at the end of next season. <laughs> I, I mean, it doesn't really leave them a lot of room to do anything. Yeah, I mean, I can honestly even see them sign, re-signing Bieksa as much as a lot of fans would hate that. I know he is definitely like, a... <laughs> loved yeah. player in that organization but i can see him doing like a one year one million but let's let's throw that no movement out the window yeah <laughs> uh, that was brutal i mean it's not it's not it's not awful if you bring him back one year one million um and he plays a role that boschman should have be playing this year where you know he comes in every now and then as a seventh guy kind of what holzer does i'd be mm-hmm. fine with that uh you know mm-hmm. the x hasn't been great at all and hasn't really shown anything to me that he deserves to stick around but if he's not playing 17, 18 minutes a night, you know, you're not going to see that type of impact. I mean, we, yeah. the Larkin goal was prototypical Bieksa for this season where, <laughs> you know, nothing's going right for him, but he seems to escape any any criticism, uh, at least from, from Randy Carlisle or, and, and from Bob Murray. So, yeah. 
yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people would be happy with that, like you said, but I wouldn't be yeah. opposed to it. It'd be, you know, just adding at least to the depth. But but then you've got guys like Jacob Magna, Andy Walensky, uh, yeah. hopefully Jakob Larson at some point that, you know, that he might get in the way of any of those guys making any impact if he comes back for another season. Yeah. And which is like, I could see it happening. Do I think it's going to? No. But I mean, it's all going to depend on camp. Like I even wrote in the summer, I was like, Larson, I think could, you know, break the NHL roster at any point or Magna or, you know. Um, But yeah, I mean, this team has such like, I mean, Bob Murray has done a great job with getting himself in a position to really be able to work his magic because he has so many young talented defensemen and that's always a really sought after thing at the trade deadline so it's like even if he's just going to go you know get some prospects and picks I think that's actually the wiser thing to do now is to stockpile those picks because in a couple of years you're losing you know Perry, Getzloff, Kessler you're going to need to get one of those high high picks to start retooling. Um, yeah, but, I mean, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what he decides to do, and I think a lot of it kind of sparks from whatever happens at this trade deadline, because you know he had mentioned it, and pretty much everybody has said that nobody really knows if the Ducks are buyers or sellers yet, and you know a lot of people have different opinions on either side of it. Uh, you went into a lot of in, in depth on what the Ducks should do in your article. Do you think they should be buyers if they continue to play inconsistently or should they sell off some of the assets that they at least can get something for? Um, see, I mean, I wrote this a few weeks ago and they were doing like, they were on the up and up and that's now it's like, Ooh, guys are tanking. But, um, I mean, they, for the past, what, three, four seasons, it's been the same story. We need a top six wing every single season. And, you know, it's Ducks are, have always been a budget team. And we know Bob Murray never wants to go big or go home, you know, for lack of a better phrase. But, I I mean, my top pick to, like, just plug in a scoring winger would be Grabner. He's, he's the, like, quote-unquote sexy pick right now. But it's exactly what the Ducks need for their price range. So if they were going to be buyers, I would absolutely do that but I could also like that's the thing with Bob Murray is he's an enigma you don't know what he's gonna do he's you don't you never know if he's a buyer or a seller because he's never really upfront about it and then he pulls something out of nowhere like he did at the expansion you're like okay I guess that's what he got up his sleeve the whole time um but yeah I could I mean I could see them even kind of you know dealing for meds a lot of guys a lot of teams need you know that face-off guy and now that Kessler's back, at least, you know, for that, I mean, he's not doing, he's not really producing points wise, but still solid in the face off. Like that's, I know, uh, saw something, I think Florida would be interested in that, but, um, I could see him like, you know, dealing some minor things here, get some, get what he can out of some of the depth guys. But I mean, from based off of his comments in that, interview with the athletic i mean he sounds rather unimpressed with his club and it feels like it's almost like uh all right i'm punishing you guys yeah he does like, not you guys aren't I, playing this is like he's the most happy. candid he's been i think in in, in any kind of in an interview i love yeah. it yeah 
Uh, I mean, I, I love the one quote that he had here. He, he said, so far when it comes to real critical big games, we basically shit the bed. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, that awesome. that's as real as you can get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know he's been watching the games in depth. And, and I mean, and nobody's happy with the Doug, how the Ducks have played in their last seven games. They lost five of their last seven. And, and like you said, mm-hmm. you wrote that article back on the six when they're actually mm-hmm. playing well and, and it looked like things were turning around. Um, you know, I, I, the only thing I can feel from his comments is he's kind of, it's kind of like recency bias. He's, he's kind of focusing a lot on the last seven games, which is fair because it's, it's Mm -hmm. heading into the second half of the season. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if you look at the Ducks since Christmas, they've been one of the better teams in a lot of categories. Uh, and they've just had some holes as he referred to that need to be filled And, And, you know, top six wing is a hole that needs, has been needed to be filled by the Ducks for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. I like bringing up Grabner. I think that's a good one. I brought it up uh, a week ago, and, and somebody had said, well, it's kind of close to what the Ducks did when they brought in Hagelin, and it didn't work out. Do you see any kind of comparison there between Grabner and Hagelin and you know how Hagelin didn't have a ton of success in Anaheim? Yeah, but I mean, that's... <laughs> it's, it's always such a weird... Like, situations like that, you can't really give a fair opinion on it because it's it's something that should have worked out that did and on paper that was great but for whatever reason it just you know chemistry wasn't right whatever but I think Grabner would fit in really well his style of play is similar he's fast which is what the Ducks need Ducks are not a fast team watching that game at Air Canada Center what last week week and a half ago it was so painfully obvious is how gassed they were trying to chase that speedy team and they need guys that you know they needed to stop signing guys that are you know big physical guys because I mean yes that's the Pacific division kind of in a nutshell and I think that's why Vegas is doing so well because they kind of have that east coast style of play on the west coast and they're they're running away with it and that's speed kills in the league now. Like we know this, this is, and it's interesting because I've actually um, seen Carlisle's kind of style of coaching start to evolve. And I put that with an asterisk, but he, his style of coaching has always been that big physical dump and chase hockey. And it's like, now we're starting to see him try and roll with the punches. So I, I mean, I could see the organization at least kind of trying to, rally around this idea of okay we need to be faster so it would be interesting to see if they went out and got someone like Grabner but it would also be interesting you know I was hearing there um at least a few weeks ago was interest in uh Maroon bringing Maroon back yeah and, a lot of people have been kind of putting that out there a little bit lately mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I mean it would make we you know how he fits in the organization he's been there but and you know my caveat with that was okay well he's just another big dude but then I'm like he's playing with McDavid he's I mean if he's skating with McDavid you know he can keep up so it's like it's these just trying to find that kind of boost in the lineup that they need without breaking the bank yeah and I I think with Grabner kind of you know you never thought of it going into this season anybody replacing uh anybody on the Cogliano kessler Silverberg line, but I actually think he, he would fit perfectly on that line, whether it's Cogliano or Silverberg who moves out to maybe give that line a, a bit of a spark because he's kind of that player. 
Mm-hmm. And that line needs, you know, life to it again because they've just been quiet. And it's, you know, we've been, I've been so critical of Perry and it's like, now he's, this always happens. Whenever you write something and you criticize a guy, you tear him apart. The day after he goes and gets four assists. I'm like, okay, cool. That's, that really <laughs> helps my case. But, um, yeah, it's like now we're seeing that top line just be dominant when last year it was the reverse. It was where's the top line and the shutdown line's doing everything. So it's like I think they just need – like they know that these guys can score goals. They know that these are this is a good team. On paper, the Ducks have everything they need to be a competitor. It's the execution that's been awful as of late. And Bob Murray has kind of said, like, hey, they need to prove it to me that it's worth it to go out and get someone. Because right now it's not. Because the way that they're playing, we're not going to be in a good enough position to make a push. So why do it now? And we'll just wait until the summer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, One thing I think is interesting, you brought up the, the speed of play and how it's changed a lot. And the Ducks are starting to trend towards that direction and bringing in Grabner would help. But I think arguably two of the slowest guys on this team are on the blue line in Kevin Bieksa and Francois Beauchemin. Mm-hmm. Do you think they need to make an upgrade there if they're going to make a long run to the playoffs? Or can they really stick with a Fowler, Bieksa, and Beauchemin Montour pairing? I think they can stick with it. And I was, you know, I think I was when I was writing... Um, when I was writing this because I had to change the stats a few times because I was tweaking it, but there was a point I want to say like two or three weeks ago where Montour was a plus 16 and Bosch was a plus 14. And I was like, Bosch, really? So um, I think, and I think that speaks more to Montour's uh, talent and versatility. And Bosch is a great guy. Really great guy. I liked the contract. But it's no secret that he's on the out. Um, he's not a fast guy. Great guy. Heart and soul guy. But I don't think <coughs> excuse me, it's worth it to go out and get someone. I think it's worth it to stick it out <coughs> and go with what they have in the system. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of that rides on if uh, if Marcus Pedersen gets a start on this road trip and how well he does, because we've seen Magna play a couple games this season. We've seen Walensky play a couple games. You still have Larson down there who now he's kind of been passed on three times. You've got all those guys, and you've got Mahura in the system. So, it, you know, you don't really have to go out and get a Ryan McDonough if you mm-hmm. you know you have these guys who can come up and maybe help out. But nobody thought Boschman was going to play this many minutes, even him. Oh, yeah, no. And, you know, it's definitely showing that he shouldn't be. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. Like, there's so many guys that can be NHL players right now that they can plug it. And to give them a shot, I think, is worth it over going out and getting someone. Yeah, for, for sure. And, and, you know, one thing that I think was really interesting in your article, and it seems to be a discussion that always resurfaces among Ducks fans uh, ever since Freddie Anderson left, and we had a question that referenced it last week, and you know, it's just looking back, uh, did, did the Ducks make the right choice by choosing Gibby over Freddie? And you referenced it on your article, uh, talking about how how Gibson has been great this season, but he's injury prone, uh, and he has so much potential. But you know, do you think they made the right decision? No. <laughs> 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 and I I got torn. Up. I wrote a. Uh... 
a piece when that was happening. And it was Team Freddy versus Team Gibby. Oh, yeah. And I just kind of, like, broke down, you know, from my opinion, what what kind of goaltenders they are and what, in the long run, is going to be beneficial. We've heard so many times and so long that Gibson's the goaltender of the future. Gibson's the next Brodeur. In five years, he's going to be the best goaltender in the NHL. I'm like, okay. Yes, his potential, absolutely. But potential is a very dangerous thing to bank on. And he's definitely made leaps and strides in his in his game this season. He's a lot more disciplined. And I know even Carlisle was like, he's definitely kind of buckled down and it's, it's less... Um, it's a little bit less of an attitude, I guess now. Um, but he's a lot more technically sound than he used to be. I mean, we know he's an athletic goaltender, and he has those highlight reel saves. But we're actually, I, I think we're seeing less of them because he's not having to rely on that as much. And that's what I always really liked about Frederick Anderson, and I still like about him. He's not a flashy goaltender, but he can read the play extremely well, and he doesn't need to rely on his athleticism a whole lot. Because he's already there. And he's already making the save. And I think when you have a guy who <coughs> frequently needs to be that athletic goaltender. And he's prone to a groin injury. That's not good. He's never played a full season. He's always hurt at some point. And I think that's why getting Miller was so great. And, you know, Miller hasn't played the best as of late. Neither has the whole team. But I think that's, um, like, the best backup you could ask for. If that's what you're going for. But anyway, I digress. Um, I think in the long run, Freddie's Freddie's the safer bet, and he's, I think he's the guy. You know, I made the argument. I was talking to uh, Dave and Dennis, I think, in uh, in Tampa, and I was like, you know, how would have last season's playoffs looked with the Ducks if Frederick Anderson was in that? Gibson got yanked in each round of the playoffs, not because he was hurt, because he let in too many goals. In each round, he got yanked at least one game. That cannot happen and you win a cup. So I think, you know, the argument, I mean, do I think they would have won the cup? No, because the whole team kind of flatlines at some point. It's just how they do the playoffs. But I think that they would have had a much better chance had Frederick Anderson been in that. And, and somebody had brought up that, I think it was Hayward on the broadcast had said that, you know, Gibson's a, a big game goaltender now and, you know, I, I, I kind of laughed at that a bit because, like you said, he was yanked a lot in, in the playoffs last year. And, and, you know, he's been good at, at times when he's needed to be this season. But I don't mm-hmm. think he's really proved that, you know, he's a big game goaltender yet. And obviously he still has time to prove that. But you, know, you look at Freddie last night uh, against Columbus for Toronto. He had 54 Insane. saves. Insane. Uh, and, and he's done that regularly this season and that's nothing against gibson because gibson has has been one of the reasons the ducks are even still in the play exactly line. yeah like credit where credit is due he bailed yeah. them out big time in the you know first half of the season but you know one of the things about gibson too is everybody says that he he doesn't get rattled he's he's really calm and his demeanor is like that but i i think his play you don't necessarily see that because he's all over the place and he kind of yeah. reminds me a bit of, of jonathan quick in the way they approach the game, I don't think Gibson gets as rattled as Quick does at yeah. times. <laughs> but uh, then Freddie, on the other hand, um, reminds me of the way Price approaches the game. You know, he's really yeah. methodical the way he approaches the game. Doesn't move too much because he's always in the right position. He's a big guy, so he doesn't have to. Uh, and you know, I think that's what the Ducks could have used in the playoffs last year for sure. Yeah. 
down yeah. the road if you're looking at the future just because of the the slight age difference and and maybe the <laughs> maybe the risk of a little bit more potential in Gibson. I think that's, if you're rebuilding, I think you want a guy like Gibson. But if you're in win-now win mode, like the Ducks are, I think yeah. you could benefit from having a guy like Freddie Anderson. So it's a yeah. tough decision. I mean, you don't really lose in that decision, yeah. but there are there are guys at times that you want in a certain situation. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like you said with Freddie, I, he's probably one of the few goaltenders that I've, like really watched and just like studied mm-hmm. that I just seem like wow it's really it's not often that he lets in a really soft goal yeah and that's one thing that I've criticized Gibson about is he his glove hand is so weak and then he is a lot better at it this season but that five hole is just wide yeah. open and then like that you know I've like every I mean, not every game, but at least every other game. It's like, well, that was that was pretty soft. He should have had that one, mm. you know. But I think for everyone to keep saying in five years, he's going to be the best goaltender. <laughs> really? Like, so five years, he'll be, what, 29? He's prone to groin injury. He's never played a full season. That's when he's going to be the best goaltender. Yeah. I just, I don't buy it because, I mean, I'm, I don't know, call me Bob Murray, but prove it. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's that's perfectly right. He hasn't really proved it yet, and and he's been better this season. And like you brought up, he's worked on things, uh, and he's improved his game overall. But you know, he still has a lot of things he has to work on. I, th- I think the one thing he's gotten a lot better at is is breakaways, and and he's kind of yeah. you know he used to overcommit, and he would pretty much flop on every play on the breakaway. And, you know, we talk about how Cogliano can't score on breakaways. Well, Gibson just seemed to not be able to save anything yeah, on breakaways. Yeah. But he's gotten better, and, and I think it's trending to the right direction. But mm-hmm. the Ducks don't have a lot of time to wait around and wait for him to get to what we've expected from him. No, because, I mean, the window's closing. And, yeah. you know, if, if he wants to win the Stanley Cup, then <laughs> he's mm-hmm. got to be in that window. Yeah. And I think another guy, you know, kind of moving on from Gibson and Freddie, that is a big part of the window now uh, and any other chance they have the, at, at the Cup down the road is Ricard Raquel. Oh, yeah. And one, you know, one thing I was debating with um, a colleague was what is Raquel's potential in terms of, of is he going to be an elite player? Is he going to ever really get to that point where he can hit like 80 or 90 points, like the top echelon of the league? Or is he a guy who's going to get you know fifty, sixty, seventy, which isn't bad? But is that you know is that the type of player that he's going to kind of be for the rest of his career? Um, I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for him to yeah. be an elite player. I do. I see it. Am I like, yeah, he's absolutely going to no. Mm-hmm. But I think that type of the player that he is is he's the reliable one. He's yeah. like your cleanup batter in baseball. It's like he, you can just count on him to do exactly what he needs to do. And he's the new Scory Perry. Mm-hmm. He's the one that's, you know, always down by the net, always getting going for that rebound, doing whatever it takes to just get the puck in the net. And that's exactly what the Ducks have needed him to do. And I think, yeah, I mean, he absolutely is capable of being, you know, an elite player. But also with the guys that are in the NHL now, it's just like... Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to compare anyone to economy yeah. yeah. or an Austin Matthews, you know. So, I mean, take those guys out of it, yeah. But <laughs> that's not really 
Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with him hitting 50, 60, 70 points every season. I mean, no. that's a valuable piece. I mean, what else could you for, especially at his contract? Yeah, and, and and you look at the fact that he was picked at the end of round one uh, mm-hmm. back in 2011. I mean, you didn't expect him to be this type of player. And, you know, you what you look for in a prospect is to improve every season, and he's done that. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he 31 points in, in 2014-2015, and 43 the next, 51 last year, and now he's at 46, and he's definitely going to break his career high uh, by the time this season is over. You can't really ask much more from him. He's gotten better every year, and, and now he's arguably the Ducks' best player this season, maybe behind Ryan Getzloff. Oh, absolutely. And it's the, I mean, at least for the majority of the season, it's been, it's almost looked like vintage uh, pairing gets off because it's, mm-hmm. you know, gets off versus Kel, score. And like that's exactly what Perry used to be. And that's why, you know, he's being criticized. But Raquel's taken over Perry's role of the goats to guy he's he's taken over you know just not only being their top goal scorer but just the guy who's going to the dirty areas mm-hmm. and doing literally whatever it takes and you can see how much his game has developed in the past two seasons because he wasn't really that type of player and you can just see the discipline he has now and he's so good at creating space and just you know, excuse me, pardon me, my way around everyone, and just doing those those moves where you're just like, how? Yeah. How does he do that? <laughs> he makes it look so easy. His skating is just phenomenal. I just, ugh, I envy him. Yeah, and, and it's something they've needed, really, to, to something you just haven't seen on this team uh, in, in a while, and and it kind of looks like that's the way they're trending too, because Sam Steele seems like he's that type of player. I mean, there was a great mm-hmm. play. Uh, he had WHA, WHL play of the week where he just skated around three or four guys and, and was able to get a pass across crease. And they just look really similar in the way they play. So it'll be great yeah. to see those two guys playing when they eventually end up oh, yeah. to play together. I mean, them on a line, hopefully, in the next either next year or the year after, it's just going to be insane to see those two guys playing together. Oh, yeah, there's so many young guys in the Ducks organization that I'm so excited to see come up and just see what they can do in the NHL. Because mm-hmm. you you see what they're doing in these minor leagues or in, you know, world juniors and whatnot. It's just, it's insane. The caliber, like, these guys are playing at such a young age. And there's so many of them that the Ducks, you know, have rights to. And it'll be interesting to see who they use as, you know, kind of bait for, you know, a trade. Mm-hmm. And who they actually plug in the lineup. Yeah, and it seems like... You know, the Ducks have always been lauded for, for their drafting ability, but they always seem to get these guys at the end of the first round into the second round. I mean, mm-hmm. Jakob Larson was a guy we had projected to be one of the top, top defensemen in the Ducks system. Obviously, it hasn't panned out for him so far, but again, he's only 20, so he still has a ton mm-hmm. of time. Max Jones, Sam Steele all look great. You've got Josh Mahura, who was drafted in the third round in 2016, yeah. and, and he's been unbelievable. Street. Talented, yeah. Yeah, and, and then you have Maxime Comtois, who made the World Junior team out of nowhere, uh, and yep. he's on a tear right now. He was QMJHL Player of the Week. I think he was CHL Player of the Week for the last week, so he's been unbelievable. It's just crazy. They, they just seem to get these guys out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, and it's, it bodes well for them, too, because with, you know, all these, you know, the core getting older, and, you know, they're going to be, you know, a lot of people would say they're going to have to rebuild. I would just say retool because mm-hmm. they have – the talent in the organization to at least rebuild the core. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it'll I, be interesting to see. I don't know if uh, they've definitely got a lot of guys they can fill the lineup and and almost and almost fill the team kind of like what Vegas has, where you don't have a Getzloff exactly superstar, yeah. but you have a lot of guys who are set, like fringe first liners and second liners who can play mm-hmm. really well. I think that's what the Ducks have. I, I don't think you really get a Getzloff in the bottom half of the first round anymore. Uh, I think mm-hmm. just the scouting is just too good. You you, you kind of yeah, have exactly. to finish in the top ten to get it. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of want to look back. Uh, had probably who's been the most disappointing Ducks player this season, uh, arguably, and, and it's Nick Ritchie. And, and you look at okay. the fact he was drafted 10th overall in 2014. Yeah. Is it too early to say he's a bust? Um, <laughs> This was supposed to be his breakout season. Yeah. And he's got four goals. <laughs> <laughs> so... I don't. I don't know. I'm hesitant to call it a bust. Yeah. Like and like be like, yep, it's a bust. But I think I would. I mean, I would definitely explore what you might be able to get for a player like Nick Ritchie. Yeah. I think he's definitely made himself expendable. Whereas in you know, last year, two seasons ago, you definitely wouldn't think so. Yeah. But I mean, it's he's been underwhelming to say the least. I mean, he's really only just been a body out there. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they need a lot more from him than five, six hits a night to, you know, to be a competitive team. Because, let's face it, he's not a fast guy either. So, it's like, yeah. what what good is he? I think the most disappointing thing, too, about Nick Ritchie is, is I don't think he'd be be under this much criticism if he wasn't drafted where he was drafted. Exactly. Uh, I mean, the, the only thing... The only reason we put this so much pressure on him is because the Ducks had that tenth overall pick from the Senators in the Bobby Ryan deal, and, and that was supposed to, you know, that was surprising to say the least that they are able to get a tenth overall pick. And you look mm-hmm. at some of the guys drafted after him, and obviously it's easy to look back at the draft now and, and cry about who they could have had. But you've got yeah. guys like Dylan Larkin, you've got David Pasternak, even Josh Hosang, Robbie Fabry. Yeah. You know, these are all guys who are, are built to play the way the NHL is played now. And then, you know, the Ducks are one of three victims in, in the first round who went and still were trying to build those heavy-type teams. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Ducks drafted Richie. You had the Canucks who drafted Jake Vertanen. That hasn't worked out for them. And you had the yeah. Islanders who drafted Michael Dow Cole. All three of them picked the heavy guys who had a good season, and none of them mm-hmm. have panned out. I, I mean, it, it just sucks. I think it that, just speaks to the way the league is going. Yeah. Too. I think it's, just, it's, it's too fast for them, too. You can't just be a big body. It's not you know, that old school style of hockey anymore. And it's like, it's interesting to see. It's fun to watch the game evolve like that. I mean, everyone loves the big physical games too. Like when Anaheim and LA play each other, that's always fun because you know you're just going to see a physical game. But that doesn't, I mean, you don't win hockey games that way. And I mean, he's he's got to shape up or ship out because I mean, it's I wouldn't absolutely call him a bust yet. Like I'm willing to like give the benefit of the doubt there. But cause he like, you know, eh. <laughs> it's, it's tough. I, I mean, he's only 22. It's like, so it's exactly. And it's, I mean, this was supposed to be his breakout season. It's like everyone last season was like, Oh, Coy Perry just had an off year. Don't worry about yeah. it. And I'm like, mm, well, he's not a, and not too well either. Mr. 8 million. No movement. <laughs> But, <laughs> but I think, I think yeah, the it'll thing be interesting with, to see how the latter half yeah. of the season goes in terms of Nick Richardson and sees what he see to see what he does, yeah. and then to see 
what they can maybe get for for him. Yeah, and you know, the, I think the thing with Richie as well is he doesn't have that speed like you, you brought up. And and any guy who's a big guy, physical guy coming into the NHL now, they have to have that speed. And you know, mm-hmm. the Ducks picked Max Jones because yes, he's a big physical guy and he plays a similar style to Dink Richie, but he has speed and he can yeah, keep exactly. up. And, and that's really the difference. When, when Richie was in junior, he had the shot and the size, so it made a difference. Mm-hmm. And you know, he at least he didn't just have size; he could shoot the puck. Obviously, yeah. that hasn't translated. Uh, to the NHL and I think that's a, a big reason why he hasn't been that great but yeah you, you know there's there's a reason these guys haven't panned out for the three teams that I mentioned and, and it comes down to speed and, and it's disappointing because yeah. I would have I really wanted Nick Ritchie to succeed and, and I at the time I think it was an odd pick still for the Ducks to, to grab him at 10 there were a lot of of good players available but it's just I think it's disappointing for everybody and of course disappointing for Nick Ritchie that it hasn't panned out the way everybody expected Absolutely. And it's like, I don't even, I mean, we saw that the league was trending, you know, towards speed, but Mm. I feel like in the past two years, it's just been like kind of that hard transition with, you see, you know, McDavid coming in, Matthews coming in, like you look at the Maple Leafs now and they're just incredibly fast with the young guns they have. And it's just, you know, Vegas with their team, they're, they're fast and they're in the West and they're, Mm -hmm. you know, dominating. So it's just, it's interesting to see how quickly it's changed. Yeah, it's almost like the 2014 draft was kind of that turning point. Cause yeah, exactly. After that, you really didn't have any teams drafting that big guy who had no speed in the first round. I don't think anybody other than maybe Pavel Zaka for New Jersey mm-hmm. was the last guy who you drafted because of his size. And then it's just, it's like you said, it's changed in the last three years, and now you don't see any of those guys going in the first round. And if they go anywhere, they drop down to the second or third round. And I think it's great for the game. Uh, I mean, we all loved the World uh, the World Cup of Hockey with Team North America and how fast they are. And now you see that in pretty much every game in the National Hockey mm-hmm. League, and especially in the Eastern Conference because it's just a, that style of play. But mm-hmm. it's it's great for the game of hockey, and, and it's easy to sell it uh, outside North America as well. Yeah, and I think Nick Ritchie might be – I mean, I think he could have a better season somewhere else. I just think for the Ducks – who are already such a big physical team. He's just kind of a bump on a log. You know what I mean? It's like, there's other teams that are already really fast that could use a big guy like Nick Ritchie. And he, I think he could do well, but I mean, that's just not the name of the game for the ducks. They don't, they don't need him right now, at least the way he's playing. Yeah. You know, uh, Hannah, we have some uh, fan questions too, that we want to get to as well. Talking about some of these topics. Uh, you already answered the one about uh, Richie being a bust. Uh, one of the other fans, uh, Drew, asks about if the Ducks don't trade, you know, would, uh, or excuse me, if they would trade, would they trade Wagner possibly? Do you think that's another uh, forward that you would consider trading? I don't think so. I don't think they're going to get He's been too valuable. And I think uh, Wagner and Manson have been very surprising. Um, you didn't. I didn't expect them to have as much success as they've had. You know, and it's... Back to Nick Ritchie, I would have thought Nick Ritchie would have been the one with the better season, but I think Wagner has been too valuable, and I mean, he's he's got a lot more speed too. And like, absolutely, absolutely. So, and I mean, yeah, I don't. I I think I could see them maybe doing away with Vermette, um, kind of getting rid of like the older guys a little bit, but I don't think I could label. Uh, Wags is expendable at this point. 
Yeah, I have to agree with you. I, I don't think I would trade Wagner either. I mean, uh, Eddie knows he's one of my uh, favorites on the team. So I, I'm definitely opposed to Wagner going. I think for Met, like you said, if someone needs a centerman, especially in the face-off area, he's the way mm-hmm. to go. Um, you know, another fan, too, asks about, well, what about trading for defense? Uh, Chase asks, you know, picking up another player there. Or do you think, as you kind of touched on earlier, would you go with some of the younger guys? Obviously, Peterson's up now. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Mahura, Larson, et cetera. What's your take as far as trying to maybe rush those guys? Or would you maybe hold off a little bit and maybe next season try them? Um, if you would have asked me that three weeks ago, I would have said, yeah, maybe go out and, you know, get a, a kind of a cheap deal. Right. But after reading Bob's comments, I don't think so. Because yeah. he's, I mean, he's already disappointed. He's, you know, the team's been underwhelming and he's, he's, he's pissed. So I don't think he's going to go out and spend the money on something for just to, you know, be a bust. And especially he, you want to see like, if, if the Ducks aren't going to make the playoffs, you're going to want to put these young guns in there, see what they can do. You know, and you touch and on really that. Get oh, a sense for their value. You can really get a sense of their value when you throw them in the show. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just you were touching on the Ducks not making the playoffs. There's a lot of concern. We have a lot of fan questions about that. So I'll kind of just put them together. But what do you think about this team? If they don't make the playoffs, you know, you've seen Murray's comments in the article, uh, the trade deadline's coming up. You know, he usually doesn't make big moves, as you talked about. Do you think um, if, you know, things don't go right in the rest of the season, do you think he or Randy Carla are gone at the end of the season? A lot of fan questions about that. Um, I don't think so, because I think especially I think Bob especially is safe. That Henrique trade yeah. was the yeah. best thing he's done in years. Absolutely. And I think that really solidified like, yes, he's he knows what he's doing and he's trending in the right direction in terms of where the league's going. And I think that's another reason he might be a little more hesitant to doing something at the trade deadline, because you kind of really need to reevaluate this team and see where they're going to be, you know, if they don't make the playoffs where they're going to be next season, what they need next season, who, what young guns can come up and then kind of explore, okay, do they need to go out and get a defenseman or can they bring these guys up? So I, I mean, Carlisle, I think, honestly, I know a lot of people really don't like it. Yep. That's no secret. But yeah, true. how many teams in the NHL can go down their top two centers for over a month and after Christmas still be in the, I mean, it, Absolutely. Yes, concerned that they're not going to make the playoffs, but after Christmas, they're very well still in the, discuss- the discussion for making the playoffs. And I don't think there's a whole lot of coaches in the NHL that can pull that off. It speaks to the depth of the team, but it also speaks to coaching, the way that he just kind of rolled with the punches, figured out chemistry where he needed to, to keep their head above water. Oh, I, I agree with you. And, you know, one of the fans asked that uh, question, James, he asked, you know, as far as the way the season has gone, uh, do you put some of the onus on the coach, the management, or the players, or all of the above? What do you think? Um, I think it's definitely, I mean, it's always all of the above. Because right. everybody plays their part. But I think the, it's a lot of it's on the players. Yeah. I mean, most of it's on the players. These guys, you know, that's what I wrote in my piece. Corey Perry yep. is paid $8.6 million <laughs> to score goals, and he's not yep. scoring goals. He, yes, he's had a ton of assists. He's more of a playmaker now. Great. That's not an $8 million contract, though. He has one of the worst contracts in the NHL by value right now because yep. he's not doing what he's paid to do. And like that's what it, honestly, that's what it comes down to. Like, yes, he might be a fan favorite. He always, I mean, at least for the Ducks. But, yeah, yeah, not um, the rest of the league. Yeah, no, everyone, everyone else hates him. But 
at the end of the day, that's what, what it comes down to. I mean, this isn't baseball where you can just pay guys whatever the hell you want. You know, these guys got to perform to their contract or you got to figure something else out. Because, you know, especially for a budget team, like, it's just, it's not okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, the responsibility falls mostly onto the players. I mean, it's their, and, I mean, players and coaching. And I, I do applaud Carlisle for doing, you know, what, honestly, I liked the demotion of Perry to the fourth line. I think it was kind of that kick in the pants. I was just going to ask. Yeah, I, that's Eddie and I had talked about that, too. And it was funny. We were saying, well, what do you do with Perry? He's not scoring goals. Obviously, you can't trade him. He's mm-hmm. making all this money. And we actually talked about it before it happened. We were kind of like, well, I, you can't put him on the second line. That's the Kessler line. We're like, well, he's been on the third before. We're like, well, do you throw him on the fourth? And then he did. And we were both like, oh, wow, he actually did do it. But it seemed to kind of work because just like you said, uh, Eddie and I have been critical of him sometimes on our show. And then the next night he goes out and he scores, you know, a couple goals. Yeah, that's how it always goes. <laughs> as soon as you make your opinion public, they just right. come and crap all over it. It's great. I know. It makes we our just, job fun. I know. We crack up because then uh, some people laugh. They're like, yeah, talk more trash on, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and another big name that comes up is is Bieksa, of course. Mm-hmm. Um He's a player that I think you either love him or you hate him because mm-hmm. if you watch him doing all his Superman punches, I mean, you <laughs> love awesome. him. He's knocking out players left and right. But yeah. then when you see him do a turnover and then that turnover leads into a goal like we just yeah. saw, then you hate his guts. So, I, I mean, yeah. to me, I think that's one of the frustrating parts. And Eddie and I talked about trying to, to improve the defense. I, I mean, I think that's why, uh, you know, Murray's and, and Carlisle are bringing up Peterson. I think they're trying to try out some players here, you know, mm-hmm. right deadline because mm-hmm. let's face it uh bx has been pretty terrible this season i mean it's kind of been terrible for the past couple seasons but yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i mean and again it comes like if he was getting paid a million dollars you would, really wouldn't care exactly it's the four million dollars it's, it's again it's it comes down to money yeah you know perry and bx it's just you're getting paid x amount of dollars to do this job and yes you get that, like, everyone has their, you know, slumps and whatnot. But you can't call, like, two seasons a slump. Right. And, you right. know, at that point, you, you throw their contract into the question. You throw their, you know, validity in the question. You throw, are they declining into the question? I mean, we already know the exit's declining, but. Yes. Um, and he's, you know, he's a really nice guy. He's honestly probably one of my favorite players to interview. Cause he's oh, yeah, he's hilarious. Guy. He's a yeah. lighthearted guy. Yes, he's hilarious. He joke around and he's a great locker room guy every team needs that absolutely and he's definitely loved in the organization and in the locker room totally but i think maybe i I mean i would love to see bx head go in to like a uh, broadcasting role once he retires i think that That would would be be that would be hilarious Oh, yeah. Could you you imagine the there was one interview? I don't know if you saw it. I can't remember which game it was where the Ducks were. um, uh, I can't remember. The the score changed by like one goal. It was Edmonton. Yeah, it was Gene Principe. That's right. right. It was Edmonton. So they asked him, they said, hey, you know, you're you're, you're only uh, up by a goal now. Like, what's the difference? He's like, well, we were up by two. And yeah, we're down by one or, uh, you know, only up by one now. And it was like, it was like, it was just funny because it was a total common sense answer. It was hilarious. Well, that's what I mean. Those interviews that they do, like, like on the bench, they always make me laugh because I'm just like, it's the same thing every time. It's, what do you need to do better? Score goals. What are they doing better? 
scoring more goals. All right. <laughs> Have a good game. I, I think um, one thing you had brought up about Bieksa, too, is, is how he's such a great guy. And it feels bad bragging on these guys consistently yeah. just because of their play. And, and Boschman's one of those guys, too. Because Exactly. I mean, not only is he a great guy, but he's been around this organization for a long time. He's mm-hmm. 37. It's his last year. You know, I feel bad ragging on him every night. I was pretty hard on him against the game in Toronto because Matthews was just kind of having his way with him. But yeah, it it's it's tough. I, I you know I love both as a guy. It's, it's it's their job. Yeah. Like at the, like as much as you you know you love these guys, great guys, and you know everyone grows fond of them as human beings, and it's. At the end of the day, it's not personal. It's just business because this is their job. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, realistically, we probably won't see either of them next year. Obviously, we talked about it. Bieksa could be the guy, if he, if any of them, to, to sign a contract next year. Mm-hmm. Just just kind of to wrap everything up here uh, with, with a little bit more trade deadline talk, uh, just kind of an outlook of, of now we, we've kind of got an idea based on Murray's comments, based on what we've seen with the rumors and the guys available. Do you think the Ducks do anything? You know, a Grabner, uh, do they go big, get a patch ready? Do they go defense? What If you had to sum it up in, in what do you think is going to happen with the Ducks? Definitely not patch ready. I know the asking price for him yeah. is extremely high. And Bob Murray's never going to, he's never gone after the high asking price. And I don't think he's ever going to be that guy. He even said, he's like, I hate the trade de- trade deadline. It's like, all right, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> but um, I think Grabner would be like the choice that would make the most sense. And that would be the most beneficial, at least on paper. But I also know there's so much interest for Grabner around the league. Yeah. And don't know how much the Ducks are willing to offer to be the front runner for that. Um, I could see them doing... You know, maybe some minor acquisition, you know, with prospects and picks. But I don't think they're going to go out and get a headliner, especially after reading those comments. Like, you know, I wrote my piece and I had, you know, Vanek and uh, Grabner and Maroon in there. And those were my top three. And I think all of those could be possible. But I think after reading Bob's comments, like, he's fed up. (laughs) Like, he just, he wants to see this club do well. And he said last year, he's like, I'm not giving up on this club. Like this group of guys, I we're, we're going to win with this group of guys. And I just, I think he knows the window's closing, and he, I think he's just kind of putting his foot down. I'm like, all right, it's now or never. And we're going to try and figure out what we have that's going to work, or we're going to go out and get someone, but at the same time, he's not going to be the big headliner. Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes down to, especially tonight's game against Chicago, but in general, just the rest of this road trip and, and seeing where they sit you know, come the, a couple of days before the trade deadline. Because if they lose the rest of these games, it's going to be tough to really say that they're in a position to buy, especially mm-hmm. if San Jose and L.A. And, and Calgary keep winning. I mean, they got bailed out the other night when they lost to Detroit that all three of them lost. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a lot of it comes down to, to where they are uh, after this road trip. And, and hopefully they win some games and, and hopefully, you know, he feels they're in a buying mood because I don't want to see them sell at the deadline. Yeah. I want to see them buy and I want to see them go for it because realistically it's this year, next year, and maybe the reaching here, but maybe that, the year after that. Yeah. yeah. There's there's not many good years left uh, with the core that we currently have. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I could see, I mean, my pick is Grabner. Mm-hmm. Is there a whole lot of talk about that? I know there's been talk, there's been interest in yeah. Grabner, Vanek, and Marin. Mm-hmm. I know that. Do I know the extent of it? No. 
And after reading those comments and, you know, how the Ducks are doing now, unless they just start, you know, string together, you know, a few wins and just play lights out, I don't see Bob really doing much because I think he's just kind of, he's kind of in that position where he, he knows on paper the Ducks have what it takes and it's just a matter of they're not doing and it's frustrating and it's unfortunate but there's not a whole like like you said like yeah there's holes but like these guys are those players that fill the holes they're just not doing what they're supposed to yeah and you know a lot of people have been saying that they're a playoff team if they can actually get there yeah they i mean and you we've always seen it with this team it's they're they're always kind of lackluster the first half of the season yeah. and then after christmas they just kind of kick it into high gear and they they started to do that and now they're tapering off it'll be interesting to see what happens coming down the stretch but it'll definitely be interesting if they don't make the playoffs after what five division titles yeah uh i mean i, I think it's past them now to to make another comeback and 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 bump out Vegas from that top spot uh, for another Pacific Pacific Division title. But I think right now, I don't I don't think anybody cares about the Pacific Division title. I think it's just getting in, and, and it's going to be that- tough because you look at the Central, more more likely oh, yeah. than not, five teams are going to make it out of that division. Yeah. So if you're the Ducks, your, your chances just cut, got cut in half, and now you've got to go in and get one of those top three spots. And, and a good team is going to be left out of the playoffs because I, I do think Calgary is a good team. Uh, I think San Jose oh, yeah. has been struggling, but they're a very good team as well. And you've got to fight with L.A., who I, I, I guess Dion Phaneuf is their savior, but <laughs> you're going to still have to be fighting with them. So, you know, only only two of those uh, those three teams, or four teams, sorry, are going to make it in. Yep. And it's, I mean, there's so much parity in the league these days where it's just, you know, there's not like one set front runner for the cup like it's not like you know everyone's banking on one team there's so many teams that have a legitimate opportunity to win the cup if they can get it yeah and i think that's what makes the nhl and especially the the new nhl if, if you can call it that so much better is we've seen you know, tampa didn't even make the playoffs last year and now they're arguably the best team in the, in the national hockey league and then you get vegas who wasn't even a team last year. Nobody expected them to do good whatsoever, and they're leading the Western Conference. It, you know, it, it's just great to see to see all these teams that struggled the year before come back and, and do well. And, and like you said, the the parity in the league is as good as it's ever been. Oh yeah, and it's this Vegas team has been absolutely yeah. riding a piece on them now. But um, could you? I mean, I. For so long, we're like, oh, they're not going to be a playoff team. They're not going to be a playoff team. And we're like, oh, crap, they're actually good. They're going to be a playoff team. Oh, crap, they're, like, leading the NHL. <laughs> oh, cool, they have the best home record in the NHL. Is that because everyone else is hungover? No, it's because they're actually good. <laughs> yeah. But, and it's like, at one point, are we going to be like, all right, they actually could go to the Stanley Cup final. Because it's that for so long, it was... They're not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to make yeah. the playoffs. They're not going to be a playoff team. This is not. I I would personally love to see that. Do I think it'll happen? No. I would be happy to eat my words. But uh, could you imagine a standing cup parade down Las Vegas Boulevard? I think it would have to be one of the craziest champions in sporting history. Um, you know, I've I've watched a decent amount of soccer, and, and Leicester City winning the Premier League was ridiculous especially mm-hmm. in a league that has no parity but mm-hmm. for a team to 
to win it in their first season. And yes, they got a lot of help with the expansion draft and, and how it was run. But, yeah, how it was formulated. Yeah. But still, I, I mean, nobody nobody expected them to do good. And then I, you know, I was a, I'm a victim of saying multiple times that you know they're going to slow down at some point. And, and they're not going to continue this play, and they they end up going to either just making the playoffs, or they're going to miss it. And they proved everybody wrong. And and they've been doing that all seasons. And and it's not easy to win at T-Mobile Arena. So if they're going to have home ice advantage, uh, if they win the Western Conference, they'll have home ice advantage until the Stanley Cup final. And depending yep. on where they finish in the standings, they might have home ice advantage for the entire playoffs. I think that's huge for them. Not that they've been bad on the road, but yep. nobody can seem to figure out how to win. Uh, at T-Mobile Arena, so that's that's huge for them, and and I think they can surprise a lot of people. They've been doing it all season, and if they win a cup, that would just be unbelievable. Oh yeah, and it's it's so cool to like just see how the narrative has changed. You know, we were talking about in the beginning of the season, James Neal was going to be gone at the trade deadline. Oh, he'll be gone. Don't worry about it. I was talking to him in Tampa. And I was like, Hey, dude, you want to stay? You want to stay in Vegas, don't you? And he was like, Oh hell, hell yeah. <laughs> He's like, We're making history. I'm playing hockey in Vegas. Yeah. It's like, why would I want to leave? I was like, got a point. He's like, we're making history. Why would I not want to be a part of that? I was like, yep. I don't blame you. No, I don't either. I mean, they're in an interesting position come the trade deadline as well. They don't really have a lot of assets. And, and you know, you never know if this is going to be kind of like Columbus when they had that one season where they were great. And then the next season they, they finished near the bottom. You don't know if this is going to be the same thing next year. If mm-hmm. they're kind of just riding the high... Uh, of this season, uh, you know, you don't mm-hmm. want to you don't want to sell assets. They they've got some very good prospects in their system, but you don't want to get rid of them to to try and make a run yeah. at a cup uh, and f- yeah. mortgage the small amount of future that that you have built up right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to say the least. But anyway, I, I mean, <laughs> we're kind of getting off topic from the Ducks here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just to wrap everything up, I mean, thank thanks a lot for coming on. This was great. We we had a, a ton of fun doing this. I think this is the longest interview we've we've probably ever had <laughs> on the show. I think when we had Max Jones on, he was on for about only ten minutes. So it it was great to to have you on, Hannah. Thanks for having me. Anytime, it was fun. And thanks to having uh, Hannah on the show again. Um, we're going to try and have some more people on as as the shows progress for the rest of the season. Uh, we covered a lot of topics, and Eddie and I still want to talk about Murray a little bit here. There was a lot of concern amongst uh, everybody, pretty much. Uh, the comments that he had in that article, Eddie, uh, in the beginning, he talked about, you know, the Ducks and how, you know, obviously there's inconsistencies, there's things to be worked on. But I think what upset a lot of people is it, it seems like he wasn't really going to do much with the trade deadline. It seems like he hadn't really talked to anybody yet. Yeah, you know, I agreed with a lot of what he said. Uh, you know, I understand his frustrations with the team and, and, you know, a lot of it has to do with injuries and such. But, you know, I, I was really infuriated, I guess, to say the least, the fact that, you know, he really just believes they can stand pat and go for it next year. I think that's a, you know, that's a little bit insane to think that the, this is going to be the exact same team next year. You know, you're going to get a, a Kessler a year older, a Getzlaff a year older, Perry's a year older. You know, you might not get the same production from these guys that you're getting this season, which for Perry and Kessler is scary. Uh, And for Getzlaff, I mean, he's been good this year, but if, you know, he's going to be a year older next year, you never know when he's going to start to to trend downwards. I just think it's insane. I don't, to me, if you're still somewhat even in the picture, uh, come the trade deadline, I think you have to fill holes. And and that doesn't mean going out and getting Pacioretty or, or Hoffman. Or any of the big names out there, Ryan McDonough. You know that doesn't. I don't think the Ducks should mortgage 
any future that they can get at the end of the season, you know, giving up a first round pick, I would rather not do that. And I know, you know, Bob Murray historically doesn't do that. I think you have to keep a hold of that pick because, you know, the Ducks are used to picking in the, in the bottom half of the, of the draft and they're, they're able to find players in there. Raquel, obviously, Sam Steele are, are some guys that the Ducks have been able to find late in the first round as of late. But I don't know. Uh, to be honest, uh, his, his comments are a little bit weird. They're, they're candid, that's for sure. Um, if you know, I think the Ducks have to be buyers at the deadline. I don't buy it that you know he doesn't know if they should be buyers or sellers. I, I think you have to look at the window and realize that you've got maybe this year and next year, and that's it. You got to fill the holes now. You got to you've got a, a spare third round pick. You've got maybe a second round pick if you don't want to move that. You've got some prospects in the system, still some depth on the blue line that I had mentioned in, in Magna and Walensky, Larson, Pedersen. If you want to move out one of those guys, you can. You still have Josh Mahura in the system. I think there's a lot of things the Ducks could still do to bring in a depth player, specifically, in my opinion, a depth defenseman that would help this team uh, immensely. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I'm not so big on necessarily bringing a forward in. I know we talked about that with Hannah. If we do go get out like a Grabner type, I would be happy with that. But I'm really concerned with the defense right now. Um, as we talked about, I, you know, the things that are going on with BX and these turnovers are killing this team. Uh, Boschman's playing a lot more ice time than we expected. And let's just face it, he's not as fast as he used to be. So I'm looking more towards the defense and how the Ducks can try and improve it. I mean, I know they've they brought up uh, Pedersen. Uh, they're probably looking at him. They're probably weighing some of these options out. I, I kind of don't buy some of the stuff that Murray's saying in this article as far as not doing much. I think he is. I, I just don't think he's letting on as much. And, I, and to me, and I may this may be a totally different angle that maybe people haven't thought about, but towards the end he talks about, you know, if you have a hole, you try and uh, fix it um, with the team. And he says, you know, but some, quote, sometimes there's too many holes, end quote. And to me, I almost think it's a shot at the team more so, Eddie, is, is I think he's more like, hey, you guys need to show me something to to get you know this team going in the right direction, and then I'll be more likely to try and get as many people as I can. I don't know. That's just kind of what I see. I mean, I've talked to him in person before. I, I just That's the kind of the feeling I get with those those comments towards the end. I know the, the intro comments people are a lot of, uh, upset about, which I, I totally agree, but I think he is definitely going to be doing, you know, handling the phones and trying to figure out something. But as we talked about with Hannah, too, and you and I have even talked about this in, in shows before, he's not the type that's going to go out and get a Vander Kane or a Patch Red. He's not going to make that big deal where he's going to dump four or five million into some player. I, I think he's going to try and do a smaller deal. Um, what it will be, we've talked about. We hope, you know, possibly uh, defense. We've talked about Yarmulson. We had a poll question on that. We talked about trading Richie out. Um, talked about Grabner. I mean, there's different things on there, but I still think the Ducks are going to do something. I just, <laughs> I just don't know how much the fans out there are going to like it because I don't think it's going to be anything huge. Yeah, I, I think you know, as for the filling filling holes in this roster, I think they're you know the Pedersen call up kind of seems like they're trying to do that internally and and seeing mm-hmm. where they stand. You know that that's given if he even plays. We we still don't know if he's going to play against Chicago tonight or not. And uh, we don't know if he's going to get any time on this road trip either. Uh, I would love for right. him to get in the lineup and, and, and see what he can do. Uh, we've seen Magna, we've seen Walensky, so it, it kind of seems like they're kind of looking through, seeing what they have before they make a move. And, and if Pedersen can come in and play well and, and at least give us somewhat of a second pairing, 
then maybe you don't have to go out and get a McDonough or a Yalmason. But I think if he doesn't fit, and that's asking a lot for a 21-year-old who's never played a National Hockey League game to come in and, and be a guy that can immediately improve this roster. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays when he when he finally gets that chance. But yeah, I, I agree with what he's saying when, you know, sometimes there's just too many holes to fill. And it's difficult to decide what to go out and do. And you really can't bring in enough guys to fill every hole. Um, you know, we talked about with Hannah and how she believes the Ducks are still looking for needing that top six, top nine forward. And, and I definitely think it could help. I definitely think, you know, bringing in a guy like Grabner would help this team. Uh, but I think their biggest hole still sits on defense. But you really can't go out and fix both. Uh, I think you, yeah. you end up losing, you know, you end up risking risk losing too many assets. The Rangers are probably looking for a late first-round pick for Grabner or a second in, in a prospect, and I don't know if the Ducks are willing to give that up for a rental. You even, right. look in, you even look in Murray's comments how he said, no, he doesn't like going for rental players. It's scary. You don't really know. You know, you're not sure about your team. It's a scary thing to do to go out and get those rental guys. And, and you, you know, he kind of mentioned how the only reason he went out to get Patrick Eves is because he knew they were going to re-sign him or had a chance to re-sign him at the end of the season, which they ended up doing. Uh, right. And honestly, I don't think he goes for a rental unless he knows he can do that or he can get a very good deal uh, for a guy. And I don't think he can end up getting a good deal for a guy like Grabner because there's a lot of teams who are interested in him. And and I think it's hard to go out and, and get a guy. I mean, a lot of speculation we put out has been on your almost. But to be honest, there hasn't been any rumors. It's it's just kind of been something that's been talked about as a guy who could who could play really well with Cam Fowler. Um, I haven't heard any rumors on your Amelson, and really the only defenseman I've heard rumors around are Mike Green, and I don't think the Ducks end up going for him because his price is going to be extremely high, uh, and Ryan McDonough, who again whose price is going to be a first round pick plus, and I just don't think Murray or the Ducks are willing to do that. And, and it's tough to say if that's the right move for the Ducks even right now. Um, unless you think Ryan McDonough is the missing piece and you're going to win the Stanley Cup, I don't think you mortgage a first-round pick and a top prospect to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. That's one thing that Murray isn't big on is, is going and getting a rental if he knows that he's not going to be able to get him, uh, you know, for a couple more seasons. And I, it's unfortunate, too, because, you know, he points out the Eves thing, and, and it just uh, – I, I know it's frustrating. Like he says in there that it's, quote-unquote, scary – uh, come the trade deadline, he's not a big fan of it. But the whole thing with Eves, I mean, how does that happen? I mean, how how does a player, you get the guy who comes in, he works perfectly in the system, and then he gets some crazy disease that you and I have never even heard about until it happened. I mean, that's, I mean, I get why he's saying it's scary, but that was just, just bad luck. I, I don't know how else to put that. I mean, that's yeah. just unfortunate the way that that went down. Who, who, nobody could have predicted that. I mean, how do you, how do you know you get a guy and then he has some crazy thing like that? So, I, I'm with you there. I, I think that he's going to try, and, and he's definitely going to try. I, I, I don't think the fans out there should be mad that he's not going to do anything because it seems like every trade deadline we get all the comments that, oh, Murray's not doing anything, da 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 No, he's on the phone, trust me. He's trying to do stuff. It's just how much is he going to do? I don't know. Like you said, it's tough to try to fill offense and defense, but I'm with you. I, I rather them, if they don't bring up someone to try to fix some of the defensive stuff, which, by the way, they did send uh, Holzer down, He's now in San Diego, and they brought, obviously, Peterson up, but they can bring up others. Um, if, if that's not going to work out, then I would say try to go out and get, you know, a green. I don't think they would, but, you know, someone similar, something like that, where they can maybe, you know, get a player and not have to, you know, mortgage too much. But I, like you said, I, I think the Ducks are kind of stuck. I think that's the problem is um, Murray's not going to want to pay a high, high price for a rental. 
um, you know, and like you said, if it's only going to fix one hole and not fix a couple of the holes, then, you know, we may be disappointed come the trade deadline. I, I really hope he does something because we're going to have a, a, a more often than not, or more likely than not, we're going to have a live show that day. So I really, <laughs> I really hope something goes down. I don't care if yes. it's big or not, just anything. You know, it could be a minor league deal, just something to talk about where we can at least, because more, more, more likely than not, the Ducks aren't going to go after Patrick or Hoffman or Green or whatever. Those are going to be other teams, and and we'll end up referencing them. But it'd be nice to get a Ducks move that we can at least talk about. But. It's an interesting situation to be in because they can't really be sellers. They don't really have a lot of assets that are really worth selling off. I don't think anybody's going to take Bieksa, especially his contract. Obviously, they're not taking on the full $4 million, but still. Uh, nobody's taking on Boschman. It's his last season. He's probably just going to finish it with the Ducks. Uh, Vermette's the only one I could see moving, um, and that would be the extent I really believe that the Ducks would be sellers. I don't see them moving any other pieces. You know, you're not moving... Any of your established defensemen, you're not moving any of those established forwards unless it's Nick Ritchie, and I still don't think they'd move him just to move him. He would be packaged most likely in a deal to bring in an impact player. So the Ducks could really honestly do nothing, and and that's very, very scary and disappointing because, (laughs) you know, for a team not to be a buyer or a seller and just kind of sit there at the deadline is, is really interesting, especially the position that the Ducks will find themselves in the standings. You know they'll if they even if they play bad they'll only be about six or eight points back most likely uh, compared to teams like San Jose and Calgary and L.A. Dallas and and Minnesota all the teams they're fighting for with a playoff spot. So I I don't know they you know before this I would have thought for sure he added somebody and then these comments come out and and you know they very well could mean nothing and he could still end up doing something but exactly. they just kind of throw a lot of doubt over what could happen on the deadline and and you know there are still some games to go we still got chicago we've still got minnesota vegas dallas arizona and edmonton that's two games right before the trade deadline as well so you've got a uh, he's got a real good look going into the trade deadline because he's got the two games the game on the 24th and the 25th right before the deadline on monday the 26th so he's gonna have a couple looks uh, against some important teams some good teams in the western conference um, and it'll be interesting to see what position the Ducks stand in because you know you've got six games where you could pick up a lot of points here and, and make some moves and, and get back into the playoff picture. So I don't know. I, I think you know it comes down to where they stand pretty much after the Dallas game. I think after these four games coming up, uh, we'll get a better idea of where they are in the playoff picture, uh, and then that will give us a better idea of what he's going to do. Yeah, I mean, and you look at these games coming up, too. There's a lot of winnable games on this schedule. I mean, obviously, Vegas is going to be the tough one on yeah. this. But if you look at these teams, I mean, Dallas is in the wild card race. That's a team you got to beat. Uh, obviously, they just beat Edmonton. They're going to play them again. Arizona, of course, they're at the bottom. But, I mean, these are these are games you got to win, you know, and, and you got to get the ball rolling here, especially like we talked about. The Ducks are usually a much better second-half team. So, um there's one other last, I guess, fan question we can't answer uh, before we kind of wrap up everything. Most of the questions were answered in the uh, interview we had with Hannah, but uh, Victor asked about, you know, the Ducks trying to go get Hoffman, as you mentioned earlier, or Pagu. Uh, he also said, hey, would the Ducks trade away Richie for a defender? That's that's kind of where I'm coming from. I, I liked, we talked about this before, uh, I liked Kevin Waugh and what he did. Me, I would try to trade Richie and, and maybe a second or third pick. Uh, for a defenseman out there and bring up Wah. That's my take. That If I was to make a move and, and, and go that route, that's something I'm throwing out there. 
I highly doubt it would happen. I don't. I think they had not, you know, sold on 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 giving up on Richie yet, Eddie. I think that's kind of what you and I discussed. But what do you think about the Ducks maybe trying to go get, you know, some kind of defenseman and either trade a, a forward away or a prospect? Yeah, I think you only move Nick Richie if you end up getting that defenseman. Uh, the problem with that is, is I, I don't get me wrong. I liked what Kevin Waugh did when he came up. Um, yeah. this has been something that's bothering me all week, especially I put out the, um, the, the possible Yarmulson trades. And I, again, I looked at it really quickly. So they were, they don't yeah. take them as literal yeah. things. I did not look really in depth into those right. trades, right. but it, this is, and, and I saw a tweet. I, I, I don't want, I don't want to look for it. I don't know what it was, but it, it was basically talking about how, how players or how fans uh, overvalue players. Oh, here, here it is. So it says the most glaring, glaring hardcore fan error has to be believing that their prospects are special. I mean, they yes. might be, but they're probably not, or completely forgetting that other teams have prospects too. I had really thought about that a lot before I saw that tweet with the goals prospect, and I saw that tweet, and I was like, this is this tweet so much right now. It's how I'm feeling, because <laughs> I had put guys like Kevin Waugh, and I put Cali Casilla, I put Jacob Magna, Cordillis, and guys in that are better players in the goals into those trade rumors, and I got completely flamed by a lot of people yeah, you, over, you did. The, over their <laughs> perceived value, and, and I understand. I liked, Like I said, I liked what Kevin Waugh did, I like what Cali Casilla and them are doing, but let's be honest here. Kevin Waugh is 24 years old. He's played one and a half seasons in the AHL with decent production. He's he's played 20 games with the Ducks. He scored six goals and one assist. He's not not necessarily lighting the world on fire in the NHL. And then you've got Cali Casilla at times who's come up. But you know, a lot of people believe these guys are like top top potential prospects. No, no. And and I like I don't want to. And I, I can't say it either. I'm not a prospect expert, and, and you know neither are they. I can't jump on people and say they're not right, and I am because I'm not. But in my opinion, Kevin Waugh, Cali Casilla, realistically, at the highest potential, are third line wingers if they reach that potential. And you know sometimes you got to move guys to get guys, and and yep. it's you know it's. The Ducks don't have a lot of assets to move to go out and get these good players, and everybody's talking about how they want to get this patch ready, and they want to get uh, they want to get uh, McDonough and all these guys. Well, you're gonna have to move guys to get them, and I don't think you're you're gonna anybody wants to move Sam Steele or Max Jones or or a first round pick. So you're not gonna get those guys, and if you're gonna go and get the, the next tier of players at the trade deadline, the Ducks have a couple extra picks they might be able to move, but then you're digging down into San Diego and looking at Kevin Waugh and looking at Cali Casilla. And I think you've got to put it in a realistic perspective of what these players can actually be. And, and you know, people always love seeing a new face coming in with the Ducks, but I, I think that influences a lot of people's decisions on what type of player they're going to be. I agree with you. I, I mean, I think if you do bring up... Um... You know, Kevin Watts going to help out, but yeah, you're right. He's not. He's not a top six guy. He's a bottom six guy. But unfortunately, Richie's a bottom six guy right now. He's not. He's not doing it. He only has four goals and forty something games. So um, it's kind of frustrating right now. But I think you're right. The the Ducks are in a tough position. You're trying to to want to improve some of these areas, but like you said, you don't have a lot to go out and give back up. So um, the only other option is maybe try and, and get a uh, free agent here or there, but. I, I don't know, Eddie. I just think it's tough, and I, I hate to say we're going to be disappointed come the trade deadline, but I don't think anything major is going to happen. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there, there's going to be disappointment on that day. And, and as always on the trade deadline, a lot of hate towards Bob Murray. I, yeah. I think you have to remember, though, you know, it's, uh, his job's not just about trades. Uh, you know, he builds this roster plenty of different ways, and, and specifically through the draft. And you look at what the Ducks have been able to do in the draft. You know that that's a lot of credit to to him. Obviously, not just him individually; it's the scouting staff and everybody involved. But you have to look at how he's put together this team as a whole. And and obviously, we'd like to see him go for it and, and get the big guy. But not that's not necessarily the best thing for the Ducks right now, because. You know, if they were a good team, and and they are a pretty good team, but if they were best team, one of the best teams in the um, in the Western Conference, they wouldn't be sitting where they are. And again, a lot of that has to do with injuries and how they started the season. But they would be in a playoff spot, spot right now if they didn't have any issues. So, I think you got to take it with a grain of salt. If they don't add anything, then fair enough. But I, I don't want to see them move a first round pick or, or Sam Steele and mortgage the future because, as Hannah said, it's not necessarily a full rebuild right now. You, with the way the window you have and the couple of years left you have with this core, you can retool. You know, you've got Sam Steele coming up. You've got Max Jones on the way. Yeah, hopefully, Jakob Larson can eventually make his way there. The Ducks' blue line is still pretty young. Ricard Raquel is going to be a key piece of this team. You've got some guys that can come up and, and fill holes. Um, you know, and, and that helps you retool rather than rebuild and spend six, seven years building a team. And I, I think... You know, if the Ducks end up not winning the cup in this window and you see guys like, you know, Getzlaff and Perry and, and Kessler move on, they've got a decent core to build around with the prospects they currently have. And, you know, you're looking at maybe one or two bad finishes where you get a top five pick where you can bring in those guys to re- replace Getzlaff and Perry. And then you're looking at a whole new window that's a lot longer than, than the one you currently have. Yeah, I mean, you've said it all right there. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what we're looking at. The Ducks, if you try to rebuild everything, then you're right, then it drags out. I mean, you, you've got a couple years here still where the team can do it. And I think this team has just been inconsistent. I, I don't mm-hmm. really think it needs a major change in personnel. I just think if they could add one or two players to help out. I mean, obviously, we all know about Henrique. Him coming on has just been phenomenal. Um, that's been you know the, the way it's gone, and we know that uh, Patrick Eves has been skating. Uh, will he play this season? It's pretty iffy. Uh, if the Ducks make the playoffs, maybe is what I heard he could be, but there's no confirmation on that with what's going on with everything. Uh, you know, you've seen the article that he's been out there. He's been skating. Obviously, he's trending uh, in the right direction. It's just a matter of when. Uh, you know, and the Ducks they got to get to the playoffs too. Mm-hmm. So. It's a trying time right now for this team. I think they're going to have to pick up their play, and it's going to have to start against these subpar teams. And if they're not going to win these types of games, then I don't know. Murray may do what he said in the article. Maybe he will just sit there and, and you know not do too much, which was scary. But he was candid in there. He dropped an F bomb. You know, he dropped an S bomb. He dropped all kinds of bombs. So um, I'm hoping this team before the trade deadline, these next games, they got to win a majority of these games. Um, uh, you know, I can't remember. There's been a quote in sports before Eddie Armour who said it, but you know, usually winning solves everything. You know, <laughs> so if they start winning, you know, because that's the way it is, right? Yeah. When you when you start losing, it's it's who do we blame, right? We mm. and we talked about Hannah. Do you blame the coaches? Do you blame Murray? Do you blame the players? And we we talked about it. a lot of it's on the players right now. They're not performing where they need to be. Certain ones are, but certain aren't. Um, and, and it's kind of hurt the team. And, and to you and I looked at it. It's more the defense, if anything. So. That's what I'm hoping. If Murray can uh, bring in, whether it's 
uh, a trade for a defenseman or he brings up someone from, you know, uh, the goals that can help out, do something because the defense at, at times in some of these games has been kind of scary. Um, the offense, it's been okay. Obviously, the game against Detroit was like, what the hell are they doing? But, uh, you know, for the most part, the, Duck, it's, the Ducks have been able to score goals. Uh, you know, there's certain times that they, they sit on leads and things like that. But uh, I just – the turnovers is what's killing me and and the play of, you know, giving up too many uh, breakaways too. We've seen that. We talked about that too and with Hannah is, is kind of scary because you give up these odd man rushes. And you can't you can't kill off all the penalties in the world, and then you've got these crazy turnovers that lead to straight up goals, <clears throat> Bieksa, and uh, you know it's just killing it's killing his team. So if I'm Murray, that's what I try to do. Uh, if he does it, great. <laughs> if not, everybody's going to be pissed. We are going to have a live show. Uh, we'll put out some more information about it. We'll be on the trade deadline day. Uh, I will be at the game against uh, the Oilers. Um, you know, on that Sunday and then uh, get ready for the next day. We'll probably do the show, I don't know, maybe a couple hours before uh, yeah. the deadline. Uh, not not maybe too far. Last time I think we did it way too far. <laughs> I think last time we started at like 10 in the morning on Easter and it was like a five-hour show or something. So <laughs> yeah, we're not doing great. that again because nothing happened for three hours and we were <laughs> we were talking about nonsense for most of it, so... Yeah, I think yeah. we'll try and do it within maybe an hour, hour and a half or so before. That way, if there's some stuff that comes out, we can talk about the whatever trades are made that day. And then also we have a watch party too, uh, a brunch watch party um, when the Ducks play the uh, Wild on Saturday. Uh, that game is at 11 o'clock Pacific time. Crazy start. So we'll be uh, having that too. So we'll look forward for that. Uh, we're going to try and do a couple more shows in between too. Uh, our schedules are a little bit lighter in the next couple of weeks, so we'll try to pump out a few more. And uh, thanks for all the support, and let's go Ducks.